If you have hung out with me for any time at all, you have heard me say before that I live my life out loud and with purpose. Living on purpose, is that the meaning of life? Good morning, Reverend Corrine. Good morning, Kelly. Oh my goodness, hello, Penny. I'm sure all of you know the meaning of life. As a matter of fact, you do. But in addition to being a minister, I want you all to know that I'm a life coach. And I get questions posed to me all the time. And this week in particular, life has bought and brought a barrage of questions my way. And uh, I'm sure to many people in our community, lots of questions going out there. Now, I know that raising questions, good morning, Kathy. I know that raising questions can give rise to new possibilities and even the ability to check out something maybe from a different angle, a different perspective. I mean, after all, it's through asking questions that we grow, evolve, and make progress, yes? But on Monday and Tuesday, I heard the same question from two completely different people, different age groups, different lifestyle, and it got me thinking. And it went a little bit like this. Barb, you seem to have a grip on everything. Not. <laughs> What's the meaning of life? What's it really all about? Now, truth be told, that old age question of what the heck's it all about anyway, it's what I started with this morning. <laughs> it's an interesting one to ask, isn't it? Because many of the greatest minds of all the ages have asked that and committed to that lifelong putting attention to it. Now, I admit, during my relatively short time here on this incredible plane of existence, I've asked myself this question too, actually many, many times. And I, I'm going to tell you my personal answer um, before the end of the morning. But first, I want to give you a little background. Let me say one thing, and I want to make it abundantly clear. I am in no way whatsoever trying to be some big guru with all of the answers. Nor would I ever pretend to know all the answers to anyone and everyone's questions. In fact, in my experience, um, I have found that those who pretend to know the answer to everything and are actually shouting it loudest from the mountaintop are really just confirming that they don't. But all I can do this morning is share with you what I have come to understand through my own experience, my own lifetime, and then it's up to you to see if that resonates with you, and if that's something that you can put to use for yourself, okay? Because the truth is, no one does have all the answers because we're all living and having a subjective, individual experience of life. And ultimately, only you have the answers to your particular questions. But as for me, I've been asking the questions of what the heck's it all about from an early, early age. And in part, it was probably because it was encouraged from the environment that I grew up in. I have a lot of siblings, but I have two older brothers who were particularly in the judicial system. Now, in my 20 years here at the center, you have probably heard me say that I had an entire career of 25 years in the judicial system, just in a different way from them. I was an officer of the court, and well, they were being arrested by officers of the court. But since this is just the way it has always been, since I was a child, and in a sense, I just simply never knew any better, so I accepted for the better part of my childhood that I 
never really considered it or gave it any thought, other than saying out loud many times, I will never steal and I will never hurt my parents the way that they were hurt. And I will have different experiences than my brothers chose. Maybe you can relate in your family. And as time went on and as life went on, um, and now I'm an adult, and not just now, but through my entire life, I have wondered what made me different than the two of them, or what made me take a road that was differently traveled than the two of them. Not comparing myself um, for better or for worse, giving it that scenario, just different. Because I believe that we're all a little broken, but the last time I checked, broken crayons still color. I love my brothers. But in a situation like that, a person is bound to ask questions like, was I just lucky? Why was I on the other side of the judicial bench? Well, I'm going to share a story with you that was pivotal in bringing me here to be with you today. When I was asked the question this week, what's it all about? What does it mean? This past week, I started percolating. And I recalled for me my earliest recollection and a moment in time that changed my life trajectory. So I recalled a moment in my life when I was a young girl in grade seven. I was in Alberta, and I was in now what they call junior high, but in BC they call middle school. So I was in grade seven, and I was in a situation that was less than comfortable. It was very risky, where I was um, with a couple of friends that I happened to be in their company, and we walked through our elementary school, during uh, lunchtime, when the hallways were empty and the school classrooms were empty, kids were either outside or at home having lunch, and the teachers were in the lunchroom in the teacher's lounge having their lunch. And so we're walking down through the corridors, and I'm thinking, I'm flexing, I'm cool now. I'm in grade seven, all these elementary school kids, if I see any, I'm now, you know, I'm all grown up walking through this elementary school. But these friends, these so-called friends, unbeknownst to me, had a different agenda. And they began stealing and trivial things that they probably didn't even need, like pens and pencils. They were going into the teacher's drawers and taking things. Everything in me in that moment said, run, leave, even hide. I knew it was wrong. Stealing. I knew it was a pattern that I had witnessed in my own home before with my brothers bringing home stolen property. And yet, in that moment, even knowing, I froze. I froze. But while my body froze, I clearly recall what I did think and what I thought. My inner voice, which I've since learned, is my God voice that speaks very clearly to me and calls me Barbara Dawn, said, Barbara Dawn, you have a couple options to consider here. Now, you might think, sure, what is this 11-year-old girl doing analyzing the viability of a plan of stealing or not stealing an item at school where a place where she had incredible memories and friends and mentors and growing up and had fantastic influences, creating a future that others may, the option was creating a future where I could have brought pain and suffering to other people, including myself. But that little girl did think that. Because for years, she had told herself she would never steal and she would never bring that kind of worry to her parents. My options were breaking the cycle 
or staying in what was familiar and known. Without even being aware of the science of mind teaching at 11 years old, something in me did understand cause and effect. Something in me knew, I knew at 11 years old, what I had already learned that we get what we give and we attract who we are. My mom always said to me, Barbara Dawn, you'll be judged by the clothes you wear and the people you hang out with. And she was right. And who I am now knows that in that moment, I was bringing myself back into alignment with an unconscious, conscious pact that I made with myself, with my God self that said no stealing, no causing pain, that I would not create an opportunity that didn't work for me, that I would create an opportunity that did work for me. And what's it all about? What does it mean? Did I, in that moment, realize that I could change the outcome of my life by being aware of my surroundings? Questioning in the moment. I remember that little girl saying, what's it all about? Who am I anyway? What the heck am I doing here? If only <laughs> it was as easy as doing the hokey pokey and turning yourself around. Because isn't that what a child's supposed to be focused on is the fun parts of life? It wasn't that easy, friends. It wasn't that easy for me. Cause is that which causes or produces an effect. Every manifestation has an effect. Every single one. And although the principles as a young girl were invisible to me, I felt the effects everywhere in my world. You know what I'm saying? Life was ready to respond and make itself known to me in that moment in the visible world by the results of my life's activities. Are you hearing me? Are you with me? We must understand that what we have today is as a result of what we believed yesterday. And what we will have tomorrow is as a result of what we're believing today. We cannot undo the past, but we can take action right now to create a brand new future. And my 11-year-old self took action and made an incredibly powerful decision that changed my life. There, but for the grace of God, go I. And it can happen at any age, at any time, at any moment in your lives. And that's the moment that we're living. Let's sing. You know, Barbara, I've heard you tell that story before. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, no. I was going to point out something I found really interesting. That um, both your God voice and your mother called you Barbara Dawn. Oh, I know who my God voice is. <laughs> it's actually that was really, me. really kind of neat. <laughs> It's me, I know, and she was me and I am her. Thanks, lover. You've got to accent, chewate the positive, eliminate the negative, and latch on to the affirmative. Don't mess with Mr. In-Between. You've got to spread joy up to the maximum, bring gloom down to the minimum, and have faith liable to walk upon the sea to illustrate my last remark Jonah and the whale Noah and the ark what did they do when things just look so dark man they said you got to accent you ain't the positive 
let your heart to the affirmative Don't mess with Mr. In-Between Now don't you Don't mess with Mr. In-Between Do you hear me? Don't mess with Mr. In-Between <laughs> That's Neil in awe this morning of his multi-talent playing the piano and the guitar and I'm so grateful for him always being here with us. Give some love to Neil Claus and friends. Whew. So I want to share a story with you that I actually just heard first a couple of months ago we had a guest speaker uh, in Kenya which uh, I co-spiritual lead along with my sister-in-arms Gwen Smith and she told the story of the daffodil principle. Do you guys know this story? The daffodil principle? So it's a story of what happens to you when you take action every single day. It's from the chicken soup for the gardener's soul. So I'm just gonna recite it for you, okay? Geraldine Edwards recounts a day with her daughter. Her daughter Carolyn drove her to Lake Arrowhead to visit a daffodil garden. Several times, my daughter had telephoned me to say, Mother, you must come to see the daffodils before they're over. I wanted to go, but it was a two-hour drive from Laguna to Lake Arrowhead. But despite her reluctance, Geraldine agreed and made the two-hour drive in the rain and in the fog with her daughter, Carolyn. And when they arrived at the daffodil gardens, Geraldine couldn't believe her eyes. We turned a corner of a path and looked up, and she gasped. Before me lay the most glorious sight. It looked as though someone had taken a, a great vat of gold and poured it down over a mountain peak and slopes. There were five acres of flowers. There were daffodils as far as the eye could see. On the land, where the flowers were, was a house with a poster that read, answers to the questions I know you are asking yourself. The first answer was 50,000 bulbs. The answer was one at a time by one woman, two hands, two feet, and a very little brain. The third answer was began in 1958. This woman had adopted what Geraldine would later call the daffodil principle. It's a lifelong commitment to a goal by taking one action every single day. Friends, when you hear about someone who's achieved an extraordinary goal, rarely, if ever, do you hear about the process. You don't hear about the extraordinary actions if, if somebody has lost weight, but you, you hear about the results, but you don't know that maybe they relapsed. You don't know that what it took to get into a relationship and all the personal work, but you see the healthy relationship. You hear about the entrepreneur. You hear about the individuals. We've led, been led to believe that extraordinary successes are as a result of a one-off extraordinary action, but they're not. They're the result of one ordinary action done consistently, such as planting the daffodil bulbs one bulb at a time, and two, regular feedback, noticing what's working, 
what, what isn't working to improve the former and to maximize your results. The woman who planted 50,000 bulbs not only had to plant them, but she had to learn how to plant them in a way that consistently moved her forward for her outcome. Action needs continuous improvement. Action needs continuous improvement. If you want to achieve a goal, it's not always enough just to take the action. And how do you know it's the right action? My 11-year-old self took the right action and left an unsafe, scary, illegal situation. You see, we have to constantly improve the process we're using as well. This helps you ascertain whether or not it's the right action or not. Do you hear me, friends? This means that what got me here ain't going to get me there. Constantly reassessing. I had to change my mind. I could have been on the other side of the law. Every step I took from childhood through junior high to high school to university to college to ministerial training to vocal training to life training, every step brought me here. I chose and I, cho I choose I choose it, I choose it. I choose it just for me. That's my 11-year-old little girl speaking. <laughs> and I'm still taking action to get me to where I'm going. To solidify this with his genius and his brilliance, I want you to welcome to our stage, our platform, the one, the only, Neil Gordon Clausen to share Science Corner. Thank you, Barbara. I, I don't know about genius. What was the other word you used? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. Like, what a build-up. Sorry for the letdown. Um, so, yeah, so um, I'm going to tell you a story about uh, years ago, I had a contract with the city of Kelowna. I, for 17 years, I ran their water conservation program. And we did a survey of residents. Gosh, this is going back maybe 15 years ago. And uh, it was a random survey, and we asked the question, is water conservation important to you? And I think we got like 95% of the population said yes, it was. Who's going to say no, it's not, especially here. So that wasn't surprising. The next question was, list all the ways that you uh, conserve water. How do you reduce water? Can anybody guess what the number one way people would reduce water? I know. What? Showers. That's close. No, 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 no. Shower with a friend or quicker showers is what came up in you, this room. You guys should have been a part of the survey. The number one answer was turn off the tap when I brush my teeth. There was no number two answers. There were no number three answers or four or five. The single answer was turn off the tap when I brush my teeth, which is a good thing to do. But nobody said get my irrigation system checked by a low flow washing machine. Like the things that really made a difference, they didn't do. In environmental education, this is what we call a single action bias. People are concerned, they, were, they really were concerned about water conservation, they thought it was important to them. Um, and they took what they believed to be a great action. They turned off the tap while they brushed their teeth. They said, great, I'm doing my part, see you later. That's what they call a single action bias. And what people will do is they will tend to pick the easiest thing or maybe something that they're already doing anyways. You see it happening in recycling and waste management. Really anything to do with, uh, with environmental issues. Maybe other issues too, I don't know. But you take that 
that one single action and you say, great, I've done my part. And, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it might make you feel good, but it's not really, really helping. So I'm going to loop this back now to what Barb talked about, the daffodil principle. The daffodil wasn't, that garden wasn't built by somebody planting a single bulb and saying, there, I planted a garden. All they did was plant a single bulb. To plant a garden, you have to break beyond that single action bias and sometimes do things that are not so comfortable. Maybe things that you don't know about. Maybe you have to learn about other ways beyond turning off the tap to brush your teeth. So um, if, if, if I'm going to conclude in anything is, is, is to be careful that you don't get stuck in that single action bias because it's very easy. And I do the same thing. Like, oh, I'm going to eat healthy from now on, which means I'm not going to eat a chocolate bar. <laughs> that's not eating healthy. That's not eating a chocolate bar. But it makes me think, oh, I'm doing something. So, you know, if you're going to plant a garden, don't stop with a single daffodil. Thank you. Oh, beautiful. Thank you, Neil. I love Science Corner, too, Irene and Diane. I love it. So here's a final word. Friends, there's no single answer to all of the questions in life. What's the meaning of life? Like Neil said, putting one foot in front of the other and seeing where it lands. Earlier I told you that I would share the answer to the questions, um, what's it all about, this life thing? You want to know what it was? This is what I shared with my clients. You got to sit down for this one. It's big. Some of you might be sitting down. So I told my clients this week, no one can tell you your purpose or the meaning of your life. We all need to ask ourselves, and then we must accept responsibility that your answers will prescribe to you. But I also told them that life is constantly giving hints to us to begin interpreting those things that we must ask for ourselves. So what gives me genuine joy and fulfillment? For me, that would be the sense of meaning in my life my ministry, my family, my friends, how I serve. That's for me. What is it for you? Your answers to those questions will provide clues to what would lead you in the right direction for you. And often, it's just merely an, uh, a matter of admitting to yourself what you really want out of life. And from there, you can seek out ways which you can either make it happen by yourself or somehow you can make an active contribution like the daffodils story, like Neil said, to that relevant endeavor that extends you beyond yourself alone and allows you to come into alignment with like-minded spirits, which is what we do, which is why we send out the invitation for membership. And that's how you give yourself a sense of purpose. And that's how you bring genuine meaning to yourself and all of the questions you have because you'll step into this mind space that's built on your concept of genuine happiness and fulfillment for you. And that's a prerequisite to stepping into your authentic flow in life. So what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Find a way to bring that meaning to your life and then take the steps to actually doing it. The true meaning of life, what the heck's it all about, that age-old question. The meaning of life is whatever you ascribe it to be for you. Mm -hmm.